Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw, and today we're speaking with Sanjita Chowdhury. She is the Vice President of Government Pricing and Compliance and the Chief Compliance Officer, Fresenius Kabi, um, in the North America region. Fresenius Kabi is a multi-billion dollar global healthcare pharmaceutical company. Sanjita has been there for 13 years. She is an expert in intellectual property and compliance and, you know, all we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about that. And she has um, background also at consulting companies like KPMG and Deloitte and Sanjita. Thank you for being on Inspiring Women this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Lori. I'm excited. Well, great. Well, let's get started. On Inspiring Women, I always begin the conversation a little bit like, what are you doing now? What does your day-to-day look like as the Chief Compliance Officer? Ah, well, the day-to-day responsibilities, uh, you know, really have to do with keeping on the pulse of what's going on with the company. You know, where are we looking to grow? What are the challenges that the teams are facing? I work very closely with the commercial or teams, so like the sales and marketing groups. So what are the initiatives they're trying to implement so we can stay a step ahead? So we know how do we have to address them from a regulatory and compliance standpoint, but then if there are key decisions that have to be made, how do I advise them? And so on a day-to-day basis, those are some of the, the questions that come up and discussions um, that we have planned. Well, Sanjeet, I want to talk more about that specific role, but, you know, in terms of your background, you've been at Fresenius for um, over 13 years now, and you rose up the ranks. And before that, you were an IP analyst and you worked in auditing practices. So maybe give us a little bit of the background, like how did you get there to the C-suite of such a large and, you know, substantial corporation? Sure. Like, you know, I, I started in consulting um, because frankly, after grad school, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. And um, I knew that I really enjoyed working with people. And I joined uh, and worked for a couple of different consulting firms, uh, worked for Accenture, worked for KPMG, a small stint with the company that was later acquired by Deloitte and uh, found myself focusing in forensic investigations. So at KPMG, I was primarily tasked with working with manufacturers who were sued for noncompliance. So I learned how not to do things in in industry, uh, things that would get people in trouble, but then also how do you create something that is compliant? Like, you know, what are the challenges that organizations have in remaining compliant and how do we address that? And when I came to Fresenius, it was interesting because it was, you know, we were just starting to grow further as a company. You know, the 
the original company ha had been around for over 30 years, but um, you know, we were starting to develop larger portfolios and um, different types of contracting strategies. And so getting really involved in that, uh, it was helpful for me to know what are the pitfalls other manufacturers fell into so I can advise people appropriately and develop systems and technology in order to help us remain compliant. And I guess over the years, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a problem solver and a fixer. And so quite often I would find certain departments or certain areas that needed um, refinement and the company was wonderful and uh, believed me and would give me these departments to shape up essentially and um, update and implement new technologies to make them um, more streamlined and that really helped the business. Well, I want to sort of talk more about this sort of role, because these roles, chief compliance officer, you know, quality types of people, usually these are more policing functions sometimes in companies, yet you're in the C-suite and you're in a high growth, multi-billion dollar um, organization. So, so what does the role entail and how do you balance the important functions of compliance while still supporting the company objectives of growth? and distribution? Well, I, I think that it, it all goes hand in hand. And I and I think uh, as you as you mentioned, like, you know, these roles are often um, associated with enforcement. And and yes, there, there is a component of that in my job. But what I emphasize to my organization, especially my commercial team, like the sales and marketing folks that I train, is that I really want them to also view me as their bodyguard. And so I'm, in a way, I'm the company's bodyguard. I try to keep a lookout as to what's coming down the road or what are the challenges that they face. And I often tell them that I can't be an effective bodyguard if you don't tell me. And so um, making sure that, you know, I'm well appraised of all the new initiatives, but also the things that may potentially have, you know, risk associated with it. So I can properly assess that. Uh, I like to think of my role being hand in hand with, you know, the other commercial functions. I remember uh, talking to someone years ago, there's this great analogy that I've adopted and it's like, you know, I am the, the brake of the car, so to speak, and the commercial organization is the gas, but, you know, it's not about slowing them down. It's about providing balance because if we aren't coordinated and aligned, our CEO cannot steer the direction of the company. And so, like, you know, I think that over the years, I've really developed a deep partnership and relationship with the commercial organization. So they know that their goals are also very important to me. So um, their initiatives and their success. And so we, none of us will achieve success if we don't support each other. So Sanjita, I think I've, you know, in many instances over the course of my career building businesses, large scale businesses, you know, I've, I've worked with these types of important functions, whether they're quality controls or finance or risk or things of that nature. And from my experience, you know, when it works well, there has to be a high level of trust. And so how do, so I am assuming that that is a key characteristic, you know, for you in terms of achieving, you know, what 
what you have been able to achieve um, in your career. How do you go about establishing trust, particularly in instances where you have to tell people, no, you can't do it this way. No, we can't, you know, go about it in whatever might be envisioned. What are, what are your secrets for making that an effective partnership? <laughs> I don't know if it's a secret, but, um, you know, I, I, often like you know couple that no with uh it might not be an outright no we can't do that but it might be okay we can't do that in that way or like what i always tell people um you know involve me right from the beginning of the idea because then we can define that path together uh because i need to understand what is their objective? And I think that's where the trust comes in because I'm usually part of processes right from the onset. And so I, oftentimes I identify pitfalls that they would have actually um, come across in the future, but they were just not aware yet. So I'll, I'll advise them on technology challenges or limitations that we have as a company that they need to address and i think my viewpoint is much more broad than just compliance i think that has helped me really garner the trust of of the folks within the company because they know that i am not only looking at them through the lens of compliance i'm looking at them through the lens of how are you going to be successful and how are we going to do this well in a compliant fashion and it's a very holistic way of looking at things. And that's how my conversations are with with the different teams. Well, that resonates with me so much. I think, you know, focus, being focused on the successful outcome um, that is jointly shared by whomever you might be working with. I mean, to me, those are uh, the absolute needed ingredients for these types of important functions in organizations. Sanjeet, I want to sort of go a little bit backwards, actually, because you and I had the opportunity to catch up before this um, podcast interview, and we talked about sort of, you know, the early days of you growing up and how much that's influenced your career trajectory, actually, as a Chicago native, as, um, you know, parents who are Bangladesh immigrants. Can you just bring us back a little bit to the early days and how sort of the how you grew up has impacted your outlook and what you pursued professionally? Yeah, I think, as you said, like, you know, I am the child of Bangladeshi immigrants. Uh, I have a very large family in the Chicagoland area and a very proud Chicago and myself. Um, I think that growing up, you know, as the eldest of three in my family, um, I think I, I had an overdeveloped sense of responsibility on, you know, uh, almost paving the way for um, my siblings and myself, but also um, learning how to navigate in in an area where my parents were not the best advisors, right? Because they were not familiar with the school systems and and things like that. I think that that has given me um, a, a very different perspective. Like I think some of the challenges that, that I've had or overcome, uh, all of them has helped define me as a person and has made me develop that problem solving component of myself. But I think the thing that I'm noticing nowadays is that it's really helped develop my empathy. Like I, when I sit down and I talk to somebody, 
I'm not just listening to the words that they're saying. I'm also listening to what they're not saying. And I'm also looking at what are the feelings I'm having in the conversation and what is the other person feeling? And I think that the coming from a background that is different from, you know, most of the other kids in my schools and things like that, it gave me a different insight. And, uh, and I feel like that's something that I definitely cherish now and I bring into every interaction that I have. Well, you also talked about, you know, uh, how hard your parents were. I mean, today's, I will say, just sort of generalized parenting techniques are the, you know, this is Little League, everybody gets a trophy for everything, and just absolute, all of our children are adorable, accomplished, the smartest in the room kind of things. That's not as I understand (laughs) how your parents sort of, you know, felt, uh, uh, felt about sort of, you know, all of your accomplishments growing up. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like my parents, you know, they were like, you know, extremely hardworking and, you know, they would come back from work and, you know, over dinner, like, you know, try to, um, you know, I would say herd in my, my, my siblings and I would, pop in with some of my exam papers and and i remember in particular um like you know my dad at some point i i brought in an ex, uh like a math exam and i think i got like 98 percent, and i was incredibly proud i was it was the highest highest grade in the class and my dad looked at it and he's like so what happened to the two percent and i just remember um at that point feeling so angry, like, you know, like, look at the 98%. What do you mean you're focusing on the 2%? And my my parents um, really instilled in me in, in that, well, the 98% like that I achieved, it is an accomplishment. And they also instilled in me that, that, that there was more, like, you know, there was definitely more. So am I looking at where did I not get that 2%? Why did I not get that 2%? Am I curious? And am I digging into how do I eliminate the the mistakes that I made the next time around? So yeah, so it's definitely a different mindset. Like I grow, I, I often do still look with that critical eye. Like when I get feedback, you know, I take feedback very earnestly because that is that 2%. And if I don't focus on that feedback and how to implement that properly, I'll never get get to that 100% that I'm looking for. Well, if you're always chasing that 2%, how did that manifest itself in terms of how you pursued those early days of your career? Because again, I mean, you know, you've been at Fresenius for for 13 years, many promotions, you know, to again, being in the C-suite today, but how did those, that early sort of, you know, focus on career manifest based on that sort of upbringing? Uh, you know, I think I, uh, I have uh, an ability to seek out and find what's not working. I think that that 2%, like, you know, when I, when I joined Fresenius and started looking at the existing processes, just noticing, oh, well, you know, this process doesn't seem to be really streamlined or free-flowing. It seems a little cumbersome. You know, so I, I, I think my eyes already always focus on that 2%. And um, by focusing at that 2%, then I'm constantly moving towards excellence. 
And that's how I train my team. It's not about finding fault that there's something wrong. It's about how can we do something better? How can we do something faster, um, more cost effective, more cost efficient? And how do we do that in order to achieve the goal that we have? Um, Fresenius Kabi, our, you know, our primary tagline is caring for life. And so we take that to heart. We bring drugs to patients who really need it. Um, many of our employees also have had situations where they were, they've received our drugs in medical settings. And it's, it's a very deep seated value that we have. And I orient my team to looking for those 2% moments because that 2% will bring us closer to serving more people and you know, su supporting healthcare in general in the US. So Gita, what I don't understand in this, um, so, and I, I like the sort of focus on pursuing that 2%, but that, that does not sound like it lends itself to having empathy. It actually sounds pretty hard driving and um, sort of, uh, you know, no excuses for errors kind of, kind of heads down approach. But yet you said that, you know, empathetic leadership is part of how you define yourself. So where did the empathy learning and how did that become part of, um, you know, how you lead? You know, empathy, yeah, empathy, empathy is an interesting thing. I think I, I would attribute a lot of my empathy is uh, related to uh, the challenges that, you know, that I've overcome, you know, in my career or in my education. I've often been the uh, only woman in the room. Like, you know, I went to a technical high school uh, and I remember, um, you know, I was when we got ranked during um, at the end of every semester, almost most of the time, most of the most of the folks who were ranked before me were, um, you know, other men. I went to an engineering school, which was 80 percent male. Um, I went to a graduate engineering program um, in very similar similar um, statistics, I think, or demographics. Um, between male and female ratios. So I feel like um, there were certain things where I felt that I needed to work harder. And, you know, I think that I appreciate that that is not um, a lacking in me. Um, I think that, uh, like I think you said, with uh, going for that 2% is, you know, heads down and hard nose. But I think it, I think the main thing is, it's not a punishing view. It's not like, you know, if you don't achieve that 2%, there's a disciplinary action or something like that. But it's always like, okay, that's great. And what else can we do from that? And so it comes from the thought process of growth that we as humans are always trying to strive to grow and learn continuously. And we all learn and grow at different rates. And we all need encouragement and support in order to keep fostering our development, but we won't foster any development if we ignore that 2%. 
Sanjeet, if we go back to, so we've talked a little bit about your background, how culture and family is an important part of what you bring to your professional um, teams and, and your, your work. Along the way, on your trajectory, were there any points in times where you had a particular example you might want to share that was a big growth moment for you, an aha moment, something that helped you understand what was important for you to pursue the next level or rung up, if you will, um, of your career trajectory? I think one time would be um, actually when I had my first daughter. So um, I have two young daughters and my first one, I was getting ready for um, a potential promotion within my organization. And I remember feeling like, you know, a little, a little conflicted, like, you know, like what, what is this pregnancy going to mean? Um, up at that point, I had not seen anyone in the organization, uh, not anyone, I would say, I probably any executive woman who um, had a child in the organization. And, um, you know, I had mentors who had, some of them had somewhat old school values. And I remember um, asking one of my mentors about you know, I had just hit my three month mark and, you know, the pregnancy was stable. Um, you know, how do I go about telling, um, you know, my boss and the executives, does she have any feedback? And, um, and she told me that since I'm coming up for a promotion, maybe I should wait until they announce the promotion. And, um, I just remember that that it that just did not sit well with me. Like there was something, I don't know, not integrous about that. And you know, I the very next day I I told my boss and um and it was it was actually great. Like the uh I I felt very celebrated during my first pregnancy because uh like you know, the executive team was extremely supportive and uh, you know, I went on maternity leave and I came back and two months later, um, I was promoted. And so that was a really aha moment for me. Like, I think that there were a lot of misconceptions of the workforce, women in the workforce that I grew up with um, or that I've heard along the way and realizing that actually, like, you know, those are just words, you know, it, it's not what I've experienced and really trusting my experience and realizing that I can create and forge my own path and not necessarily be limited in the ways that, you know, other folks have said that I might be limited. Well, what I appreciate about that story, and thank you for sharing that, is that, you know, often in, in larger companies, those promotion opportunities, they are planned and they're planned in advance and you have ways of preparing for them and that you both were preparing for it, but also didn't necessarily take all the advice because it didn't resonate with, you know, sort of, you know, who, who you are and how you, um, you know, feel comfortable showing up as, as a professional. Sanjita, this is just a really interesting conversation. I have enjoyed sort of like hearing a bit about the background and the um, journey. As we close out on inspiring women today, I would just love to hear any sort of advice you might have for other women who are in these, you know, compliance types of functions that are supportive, but also imperative for gr company growth. Any advice that you might want to share with other listeners today? You know, I think uh, one thing that as I look back, I wish I pursued more mentors 
and a wide variety of mentors. I think that as I got further on in my career, I became more involved in mentors. And I, and I think that, again, going back to um, that aha moment that I had, like, I think that some of my greatest mentors in, you know, were times where things were going great at work or things were going great in my career. I think that sometimes I used to view that I need a mentor when things are not going well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's really not, not the, the focus. So I think have as many mentors for as many different areas and you don't need to have one mentor for everything. So you might have mentors for different reasons and aspects. I think that's also a great relationship development experience for people. I also think, uh, you know, I've had great coaches in my life as well. I've had great executive coaches and great spiritual coaches. And I think it's really important to remember that we are uh, like, you know, multidimensional human. Um, and so we need support in all areas and in all aspects of our lives. And it's always to be, it. it's always something that can really help buoy us in, in any time where we need it or we not. So um, those would be, I think, like, and I think cherish those conversations and cherish those relationships. I think that, um, you know, I can still remember the really important conversations and points in my life where someone has paid a pivotal role in a decision and, you know, if I didn't have those relationships or conversations, you know, who knows what choices I would have made. Well, it seems like you've made quite a few excellent choices along the way. And Sanjita, I think that's really great advice. I appreciate it. This has been an excellent, inspiring women conversation. I have been speaking with Sanjita Chowdhury. And Sanjita, thank you so much. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.